Hello everybody and welcome to episode 17 of our main film review series here on Spill Your Beans. Today we are talking about our final BFI Film Festival uh, feature, The Lost Daughter. I'm joined today with the wonderful Zara Trot. Hello. Hi George. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm glad I'm finally on this podcast. Yeah, like you've Max done... Max and Nicole have both been on it. You've done a couple... You did the panel review. We were yeah. in the very first ever podcast that we did on yeah. here. Which I've been quite here exciting. from the beginning. You're one of the OGs. <laughs> um, and you were on the commentary track for the Mario Brothers. I was. That was an well. interesting film. That was interesting. And today we've actually got a proper film review, so this is going to be interesting. <laughs> a proper, film. proper film review. Wow, that's really rude to whoever made the Mario film. <laughs> I mean, it is the Super Mario Brothers film we're talking about, so in fairness, am yeah. I wrong? No, not really. You're, you're, you're very right. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're talking about our final BFI pit today. Nicole and Max both came on to talk about the other two films we saw at BFI, um, and we've had a bit of a, a, bit of a gap. So we can wait for the Lost Daughter to actually come out anywhere in the uh, in the world. I don't think it's out yet. I think it comes out very soon in America, and it comes out in about a month's time in the UK. So we thought, why not talk about it now? We we'll waited long enough. We don't want to forget about the film and have to like watch it again when it comes out and refresh our minds and all that sort of thing. Yeah, that's very true. Um, but BFI, the experience. What was that all like for you? Because obviously, talked to Max and the call about it, like going there, seeing those films collectively all within that one week. How did you sort of look at it? It was very exciting and then it was interesting because we go to like a, a film sort of uni and then we just like see random people on our course just yeah. there yeah. but then there was also celebrities there like there was the woman from like Dragon's Den like oh sat a few, Deborah like, Meadham uh, whatever her name is yeah like, I got that a few <laughs> seats behind us so I felt yeah. like we were very much in the hub of the um, media and like film industry right there. So yeah, it was yeah. exciting to watch it amongst And we went to obviously last night in Soho as well when we saw the actual cast and yeah, crew of that. that yeah, really like, cool. Matt Smith sitting, uh, sitting really near us. Um, but The Lost Daughter, I think, was the last film we saw? Yeah, it was. And we didn't watch it um, on the premiere. We just kind of watched it on the yeah, next we watched, ticket. Like yeah, one of, the, one, of, one of the next days or something. Now, The Lost Daughter wasn't one of the ones that me, Max and Nicole were like desperate to go and see. This is one that you were quite passionate about seeing. Yeah. You kind of seemed to know a bit more about it than uh, we did, but you managed to sell us on it. Yeah, I really wanted to watch it like so bad. And we bought the tickets for the last two... like. Um, Last Night in Soho and the, the French Dispatch and we sport them and then I was like oh guys I see like the Lost Daughters on here as well and I just really want to see it. Yeah like, and worth it as well. It was yeah I really loved it. I think when, when talking about it we'll get into the sort of nitty gritty of this film in just a bit but I think uh, on the whole this is probably my favourite of the three. Yeah. Like Last Night in Soho I'm a big Edgar Wright fan so I do have a little bit more uh, love for that than Max did when we talked in that review but still had a few flaws in there. French Dispatch was the French Dispatch, and this kind of was the surprising yeah. one for me. I was expecting, you know, Wes Anderson to deliver. I was expecting Edgar Wright to deliver. This was the more independent of the three films that we went to see, um, and I was very pleasantly surprised by yeah. it overall. I think also we had sort of like no expectations going in because the last mm. uh, last night at Soho and French Dispatch obviously had like major directors like Edgar Wright and Wes Anderson directing us and whereas with this one it's like Maggie Gyllenhaal's like first directing debut so we have nothing to compare this film to like we don't know what her style is we don't know like anything about her as a director yeah. so I went in sort of with no expectations but obviously the trailer and the cast mm. and I think because of that I wasn't really as disappointed as I was with the other two just because I had such high expectations for them. That's fair enough I think I kind of follow the same sort of thing because going into this film it's one of those films that 
Every now and then, I mean, there's so many films that come out every year and so many big franchises and brands, stuff from Marvel, stuff from like, Star Wars and all that sort of thing, that, like, obviously I'm excited to see and, and, and see what they do with it. It's big stars, big names, all that sort of thing. But I do love seeing an independent, more independent film like this where I just went in with no expectations of what it was. I knew nothing about the story. I just knew the title, um, the cast, and, like, the poster. Because there wasn't, there wasn't a trailer when we saw it. There wasn't even a trailer for the film. I literally had nothing... Like, no expectations, um, which I think is a delight sometimes when you're watching a film um, to sort of really play the guessing game with what's going on and, and what's the film and the story actually about. And I think before we start talking about the main part of this film, I will point out to those listening, because you won't have seen it yet, um, this isn't a film with huge spoilers in, but the best experience, I would say, probably is to go in as cold as you can. We're not going to slam the brakes and go all heavy with your know, major spoilers and all that sort of thing with the film. Um, but I think the best experience is knowing as little as possible. So we're going to try our best to keep, you know, not mention anything too big or too important or too out there. But I think um, if you really want a totally blind experience like we did and had the same experience that we had with this film, um, then probably best to to not listen to too much of this, just in case. But mm. we'll try to keep it on the low key because I think that one of the best experiences with this was going in blind, yeah. was not knowing much about it. Um, so talking about the story generally, um, I've not even talked about the story, but like a specific bit that I sort of made a note of right at the start is, I love the fact that I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. I love the fact that I was trying to work out what the story was. Yeah. And it, it left you guessing for about like a good 20 minutes, half an hour of the film, where you don't, you're not really sure. And there's a specific scene towards the beginning, which is in the trailer, or a similar, similar part to the trailer, where, um, you know, Olivia Coleman seems to be on this sort of break, this sort of retreat, um, and there's a, like another family having a great time, and their daughter goes missing. And the instant connection there is, is like, right, what's, what's happened there? Like, what, why, why is this relevant? What's it? And the immediate thing is, did Olivia Coleman's daughter go missing? And I think that's an interesting starting point because that's not where the film goes but it puts you in that that mindset initially where you really don't really know where it's going to go yeah i mean also the title the lost daughter yeah sort of leads because. to the fact that olivia coleman as the mother character um has lost a daughter um and it sort of suggests that through there's like flashbacks mm. of a similar event happening to Olivia Coleman when she's younger, so she's played by Jessica Buckley. He was brilliant in this, yeah. So good. Um, and it's very, it doesn't like to give a lot away. Mm. So it's sort of like suggesting throughout the film. And then it's wants you as an audience to sort of work it out without a lot of information. So as an audience, you're like led to believe that, yeah, Olivia Coleman's daughter is missing or still missing or something happened. Yeah, there's, there's a lot in that first sort of, I won't say the first act, but it probably is mostly the first act where it's just that, that first few minutes of the film where you really don't know anything, you're totally left in the dark. Um, and it's really sort of drip-feeding you information. And it does that throughout the whole film. It really does drip-feed you the key information. But I like that. Yeah. The film is slow in a really good way, yeah. I feel, where it doesn't, it doesn't treat the audience like idiots. It, it lets you discover the story naturally without telling you through this huge dialogue, monologue, piece of exposition, right, like the first act of the film. I like how it misleads you, it, it sort of, it pushes you off track a little bit. And as you say, with the, with the title and with the setup and with this whole thing, with this, like, this flashback scene where, you know, Olivia Coleman is um, played by, is it Jesse 
Buckley you said. Yeah. She, like she's on a beach screaming for her kid. It's like, oh God, her, her daughter's gone missing. That's not, that's not where it goes at all. It's not anything to do with that. And I think that to me is one of the more fascinating bits initially where I was like, oh wait, that's not the story. Yeah. Because I always just went in with like, well, I know the thing's called The Lost Daughter. So I'm assuming this going in, but totally surprised by where it ended up going. Mm. Well, so it really relies on visual storytelling mm. rather than like dialogue which I love so much because yeah. I think a lot of the fil films like in Hollywood today or just cinema, like they just say everything that's happening. Like they're like, oh no, this is happening, blah, <laughs> yeah. blah, 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 blah. But they never did that. When I think about like the dialogue that was mm. said, it was just normal conversations about stuff. It's just like the little looks that Elijah Coleman does or like how the camera like cuts to certain like things like a child. They, that's like, they do that to suggest ideas of like, who yeah. Olivia Coleman's character is. And that's what I love about this film the most, I think, really, is, you know, I used to it up there, and as I said before, it doesn't treat the audience like idiots. It yeah. doesn't, it, it drip feeds them information in a very naturalistic kind of way. I feel like, it feels almost kind of weirdly documentary-like, even though it's not, but at the beginning, the way it's shot, the way the dialogue flows, the way the performances are, it's this, the information that it gives off is very subtle, but that is by design. Mm. And I think that's one of the strongest points of the film, especially for a directorial debut from Maggie Gyllenhaal. I think it's, a, it's an impressive start because bloody hell, like yeah. that's fantastic to nail initially, to get that off the boat and have this phenomenally real environment that Olivia Coleman and the other characters are breathing in. Yeah, I think what's also stuck out for me so much was the fact that like the acting, especially mm. with the kids, was amazing. Yeah, actually. It was so realistic. And for anyone like watching the film, the whole like concept of it is about being a parent and sort of like how mm. difficult it is. Like even if you love your child, they can be so annoying. And like, there's like that whole argument of like when you see a child like acting badly and misbehaving, Sometimes it all, people think it looks badly on the parent. Oh, they haven't mm. disciplined them correctly, etc. But actually, it's just kids being kids and it's so difficult to be a parent. And they show it so well. Like they'll just, especially in the flashback scenes with Jessica mm. Buckley, when she's like, oh, the kids phenomenal. are just messing about. And like, I don't know who I side with in the, in the moments because I'm like, the kids yeah. are being mean to her and I can see why she's getting angry, but then equally I'm like, you need to stay calm with your children. Yeah. So, so it's such an interesting it's so, acting yeah. performance. And I think, yeah, definitely. I think in terms of performance, it is phenomenal. And as you mentioned with the kids, I was going to sit here and list off all the things I like about the main cast, you know, the ones that are going to be recognised. But honestly, like, to, to actually look at the kids' performances in this, you know, films in Hollywood and all that sort of thing, they have a lot of child actors who just are absolute shit, really, let's be honest. This film does not have that. Like even the kids' performances are so well thought out and mm. so well directed in the in the right sort of way. Where, as you said, you don't really know what's right. You don't know who to side with, really, because it is just kids being kids. But it really takes the perspective of that sort of motherly role and the way it balances telling Olivia Coleman's character's story through flashbacks and in the modern day in conjunction with another family's story. It sets up ideas with this with this other family who are on the island. There's some sort of conspiracy. There's some sort of weird. But it sort of it plays on the audience's expectations. I think from Hollywood and mm. other types of films, where it's leading you to believe that something's going to happen. Even the opening scene where Olivia Coleman's 
on the beach at night and it sets it up. It's like, oh, what's going on here? Like, yeah. It almost plays on the audience expectations and go, this is what you're used to. You're used to these big flashy films, but then it surprises you and pulls the rug from underneath you in a way where it's like, surprise, this is a very real film. Yeah. Which sounds might sound a bit shit from the way I'm describing it, but that is probably the best part of the film for me, is that it feels like a real piece. It's based off a book, but I don't, I don't know how much that book's based on um, real experience, but it feels kind of, in a way, weirdly um, autobiographical. Yeah, totally. I think if you like a good action film yeah. or you're into like you know the special effects and all of that this is probably not the film for you but for me what i love about cinema is i love like ideas and concepts mm. of like real situations in real life that are shown like the power of suggestion and it's so powerful the film like it's all about like the idea of like postnatal depression mm. and being a mother and the sort of like stress and expectations that come from that. And I think a lot of people don't talk about this feeling of, of like having children and it's supposed to be the best thing, the best gift you could ever have. Yeah. But then actually a lot of people suffer with this and have that concept of like, oh, like that guilt of feeling like, oh, I want my life back. Mm. Like you love your child, but you want your life back. And I think that is so beautiful. Like I think a lot of films focus on like actions and seeing stuff but then actually these human emotions and like story is so important I think for cinema yeah and I think as you mentioned with the postnatal depression angle I, I think it's probably one of the best parts of the film because they kind of they never mention it directly but they sort of they, they thread it through enough where you can understand it and you can make that connection in your own head again leading into that idea of the audience not being trapped like idiots they are they're, they're trapped with people, you know, the audience can be intelligent, they can work things out by themselves, and this film allows them to do that. And I respected that, I quite liked that as a film where I could kind of work out and I wasn't fed everything on a plate immediately. And the more I think about this film, the more I look back on it, the more I love it. Yeah. Because of like the style of it, the way that the story's told, both through flashbacks and the modern day around this one woman's story leading all the way back to basically a simple concept of postnatal depression which a lot of mothers suffer through. It's a brilliant idea and such a clever way to do it that surprises the audience, I feel. I mean, I, I felt surprised by it. I wasn't expecting it to be that angle. I wasn't expecting it to go in that direction. But I think the best thing about it for me was that sort of like, that sort of delight where it's like, oh my God, this is using the lens of this, this big film, big cast, well-known names to go, here's a very simplistic and real story. Yeah. And I like as well on that angle how um, in the flashback scenes, there wasn't a point where it got to the end of the film and um, Jessie Buckley turned around and was like, oh, you know, she's, oh, she's realised she's done wrong and she hugs her kid and it's all happy and all that stuff. There's not a point where that is. There's a resolution with Olivia Coleman when our daughters are older over the phone there's no, it, that's just an equilibrium. It, it, there's no point where it like turns around and goes, oh, she's over the postnatal depression. It's like, it's You can a, tell that she feels guilty by the fact that she left her kids, but then equally yeah. you can tell that she doesn't care like that in a way, because that's what she wanted to do at the time. And she yeah. would have been more unhappy if she stayed with them and was their mother. Mm. I think that's what's so powerful about it is yeah. like, 
that concept of yes there's no resolution there's no oh i'm sorry i messed up oh i'll come home like you know dramatic scene of her walking yeah back exactly to which is it's what just hollywood, like this is life it's what hollywood would lead you to expect with these sorts of films and again that's uh, what i was saying earlier about this film is that the one thing i really do like about it is again that it is different it plays on what you expect from a film with a well-known cast and a big budget I don't even know how big the budget on this film is, but it, it plays on those expectations of what you're looking for. To go, oh, there's going to be this huge, gorgeous resolution. There's going to be some beautiful music swell up, and it'll all be happy. It's it's real, and life isn't always like that. Yeah. It rarely ever is, and I think that this film really plays on that in a very beautiful uh, kind of way. Definitely. Um, in terms of other points, I need to try and like think of my little notepad that I've got on my phone here. Um, do, 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 do. I liked um, the comedic elements. Yeah. I liked the fact that it played on that a little bit. Again, playing into that sort of very real aspect. Um, it's something that fascinates me personally, is having something very serious, but having slightly light comedic dialogue um, between Ed Harris's character, who was the sort of uh, older man who had, uh, worked on the island. Who yeah. did, when we first meet him right at the beginning of the film, his interactions with Olivia Coleman. Um, I think are really clever and nuanced and that scene where she thinks he's coming on to her mm. and then she goes back over to kind of flirt with him a little bit and yeah. it doesn't go like little things like that it's like not it, it, you could argue it's not entirely relevant but I think it, it, it is it's character building it's character building and I think it, it's so it's a nice relief as well even right at the beginning with the, the ice cream stuff and the like how blank she is to the the woman on her birthday yeah. about the kids stuff it's like you don't know what's going on at that point you don't know her own experience you just get the impression in the first 20 minutes half an hour that olivia coleman's just on a holiday and she just wants a bit of peace and quiet yeah i think olivia coleman's such a good comedy actor and mm. i think of a lot of people sort of like because she's won like an oscar and she's done a lot of like you know like powerful roles i think people sort of look over the fact that she is actually really good at comedy. She's incredible at comedy. And she has good, great timing. Like, I remember there being a scene when she was on the beach and like just the way she looked at like the noisy family coming on the beach, you could, it was humorous, yeah. you could tell, because like, we've all been in that situation. Yeah, we, we all have, and I think she manages to capture it brilliantly. And I think it's such a good point as well is, yeah, she has done some fantastic performances that have got her uh, Oscars and a lot of recognition, but her roots in comedy aren't lost. And I really like that, you know, it reminds me, like, looking back to her days of, like, Peep Show yeah. and, like, Hot Fuzz, where she is an incredible comedic actress, and it's amazing how she can kind of blend that very subtly into her um, more real performances, because that is what real people are like, you know what I mean? Real people aren't always overly dramatic and miserable, you know, there is a bit of comedy in there, there is a bit of lightheartedness in how people talk. And I think it's a it's a perfect way not only to build character in terms of a, a dialogue and writing sense, but I think in terms of performance, Olivia Coleman was absolutely incredible with that sort of stuff. Um, and of course, Jesse Buckley as well, who played the younger version of Olivia Coleman's character. I want to point out as well, like so good. I've seen her in stuff before, but this was just an incredible performance. Being able to really capture, like. Olivia Coleman, basically. Yeah. It was fantastic. No, I wouldn't have paired those two together, but it worked really well. And I think how she interacted with the kids as well was a great performance from her. It's overall very strong with all the actors. Yeah. Like, it's such a good cast for this. It's insane. Like, you have uh, Paul Mesner, like, 
all of those um dakota johnson yeah I'm like there's so many there's so many great yeah amazing actors but even ones that i didn't recognize i think everyone felt like a very real kind of person yeah the sort of other family on the island where the husband can come across a bit dodgy and the family members can come across a bit dodgy it's like the thing i liked about that the most was that they feel real again i keep using that point with this film but it, it's so true that when you watch this you feel like it's not like a documentary but in a sort of weird kind of nomad land kind of way i feel like i'm looking into someone's life opposed to it being like a performance yeah it doesn't feel in any way melodramatic or over the top it feels very real and i think that's one of the best selling points about this film it manages to tell a brilliant story through a very real lens without it being over the top or you know daft or anything like that it, 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 i really like that stuff um one of the the best things I sort of noticed about this film um, in terms of the way it tells its story is through the missing doll. Mm. Um, it's something that I kind of, I, I got a lot out of because it, I didn't click what the film was really trying to tell me and what it was about for a while. And the stuff with the missing doll was so fascinatingly done. Yeah, I'd it was say. stressful to watch in a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a thing with films stressing me out. Yeah, like no. But yeah, no, the fact, like, basically, she, one of the, this little girl that was on, with his family on holiday, she loses her doll. And then it's, like, shown that actually Olivia Coleman's character has taken this doll. Mm. And then she's sort of, like, helping this family, going, oh, you will find the doll, like, it will turn up all the while knowing that she's got the doll and she's not going to give it back. And it's very almost creepy in the sense that she buys like new clothes for the doll, she cleans it up, mm. she keeps it this whole mm. time whilst this child is actually crying her eyes out because she's lost her doll. And it's, it's like, just, yeah. it's held like that for a long time throughout the film. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a great, again, it's a, it's a really good use of storytelling. And probably a lot of that obviously will come from the book. But I think it has to be respected the way they reveal it in this as well. The way the scenes play out and the fact that we, it gets heavily set up about the doll being missing and how important that is for a while before Olivia Coleman has it, like, sort of takes it out of her bag. And it's like, that moment is like, oh shit, wait, what? Like, why has she done this? Why is she helping them out? Why is she being nice to them and then like, turning around and being, them. yeah, it's, it's really weird because, and, and it doesn't really reveal itself too much until the end, but I think the way it reveals itself, not to give too much away, but I think the way it reveals itself and the way it manifests itself and how that connects to the rest of the story, I think is, is really well done. But does it reveal itself? I think, isn't it just like, I think it's really subtle. She just like, There's no like reveal moment, but the way it, when it, when it kind of clicks, yeah. What, like, why, in a way, not, like, there wasn't, like, a genuine reason as to why she took it, but with the flashbacks and stuff, yeah. with the doll, in, in, like, when she was younger, and then, like, with the, you know, the, seeing the sort of connection between her and, and the other mother who's on the island, I think, is, yeah. is part of that. I, I think, mean, it's, in a way, like, I feel like I was expecting, like, a bigger reason why she took this doll, mm. but then I quite like the beauty and the fact that, there sort of isn't a reason. Her, well, her character it, yeah. is very complex and we don't know why she does the things she does. Like, why does she like walk out on her family? Why does she do mm. all these things? She, I, I think she doesn't know either, but there's a moment in the film, I remember, her talking about how she's like selfish. Mm. And I think that just links back to it. Yeah. The fact that she took this doll 
she, she doesn't care at the end of the day. Yeah. She does what she wants to do. And maybe she isn't the right person to be a mother. Maybe that's because be, being a mother is about being selfless. Like you're looking out for somebody else. Yeah. It's very metaphoric in that sense, what the doll like represents in a way. Yeah. So she takes more care of the doll than she did her own kids exactly. in a weird way. It's almost like she's nurturing it as if she feels guilty in a way for the sort of neglect that she's given to her own family. Mm. But then equally, she doesn't really care. Like, yeah. It's a really interesting one because, it, you know, as you say, there isn't, there isn't in a way a sort of reveal moment. It's, it's more, it is more nuanced than that. Yeah. And it, again, it leaves it open to interpretation of it, which is something I love in films. I love when films leave it, like, it gives the audience something to think about. It doesn't put it all out on a plate and go, here's what happened exactly. Um, but, like, I think with the doll stuff, I think it, it was a very interesting lens. It's something the film didn't need to do. But what I like it, that it does is it creates a bit of conflict between the audience and the main character. It makes you understand initially, before you even do a lot of the background stuff with the, the flashbacks and all that sort of thing, it tells you that you're not entirely supposed to side with everything that this character's doing. You're not supposed to entirely get it. You're not supposed to entirely support this character. There's no good and there's no bad. She's not she might be selfish, but she's not. She's trying not to be a bad person. Yeah. But at the same time, she's done these things. It's, it's almost setting that up in an initial sense. Um, but as you said, it is stressful. It puts you on edge. Throughout most of the film, you're sitting there like, why is she doing this? Like, don't, oh, don't leave it out. Like, you've got someone coming around the house. Like, oh, don't, it's on the yeah. table. Like, oh, I remember God. the scene when, like, um, was the, the guy came round. Yeah, Ed Harris. And they were character. having a drink and the doll was just like on the balcony and the door oh, was just open. And I think he went stressing. out for a smoke on the balcony and he was like looking at the doll and I was like getting stressed because I was like, oh, people are going to talk. Someone's going to find out. Yeah. Like Inevitably, they are going to find out that mm. she's got this doll. Like they're not going to wave this carrot on a stick without having something come from it. Yeah, no. It's... But it was just stressful knowing what's inevitably going to happen. You're like, when's it going to happen? But it, it played on that. And especially with that scene, I'm just sat there the whole time being like, why isn't Olivia Coleman reacting more to this? Has she not thought about this? Mm. Has she not realised? Why isn't Ed Harris reacting? Like, what, what's he doing? The, the whole thing is, is, is wrapped up. And it sort of, again, plays on that expectation of, of what you would sort of come to expect from bigger budget Hollywood films, where it's sort of, you're expected to be like, oh, don't mess with this evil family. They're gonna, oh, they're gonna get you. There's all, all conspiring against you. Yeah. But it's not about that. And I love the fact that the film didn't. It, ha it had the balls to sort of stay on the topic at hand, and everything is done for a reason, whether it be metaphoric or otherwise. It's it's done for a solid reason, and any sort of hints that it does have to like anything else again, like well, that family's a bit dodgy, or don't mess with them, or whatever. Yeah. It's like it's done almost sort of. I mean, it's truthful, it's normal dialogue, it's who those characters are, but it's not like she's going to get, you know, killed or something. Yeah. It, it's like one of those things where it, it plays on your expectation a little bit and you worry that this doll's oh, it's such a big thing and it doesn't end up being this huge moment or reveal or like story point. It's just relevant to who she is as a person, that why she does what she does and sort of her own um, morals if you will. Um, but yeah, before we, I'm going to talk, this is not smooth at all, but we're going to transition before we go on to our first break to our very first segment that we do on Spill Your Beans. This one is called The Record Spinner. We ask guests to come on uh, with a good idea of 
film soundtracks or an individual track from a film that means something to them or that they just enjoy, that they just like, that they want more people to listen to, etc. Um, if you've got any honourable mentions, you can also mention that. But, Sarah, what is your pick for the record spinner? Um, this was a hard one because there's so many film soundtracks I love. Mm. But I had to think about it and I actually listened to my film playlist earlier and I was like, right, which one's my favourite? <laughs> Um, and I, I really love the soundtracks, all the songs in Juno. I think it's such a, like an amazing soundtrack. Um, and I love the song, like the Tree Hugger song, mm. which is it's funny. I don't. It's because my family, we I had that one on uh, Juno on DVD when I was younger, and we'd always watch the film. And me and my sister had like the CD, and we'd always listen to it in the car. So it just has a really nostalgic like um, view for me. But, but also, the song's quite funny because it goes into French as well. Mm. So it starts off with like an English and it goes to French. I know the French part as well, but I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what, like, what I'm saying, but I'm, I'm singing it, you know? But yeah, yeah, it's a really good song. That's really sweet. I think it, I, you've mentioned this before, and I'm not super familiar with it. Yeah, you've got to watch Juno. <laughs> it's one of those many films that you've been recommending that we need yeah, to uh, watch. Yeah, it's a Zara film. It's a Zara film. Um, what like what kind of style is is the music in this film? Do you think? That's so. I mean, that is a difficult question. I guess folky. Ah, it almost okay. has a bit of like a childish like nursery rhyme. Do you know which one it is? I'm talking about vaguely. It's the one that goes like the flower said, "I wish I was." A I think it does ring a bell. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like nursery rhymey, like folky, like mouldy peaches sort of vibe. Mm. But it, which is not at all my style of music, no. which is weird. I just really love it. I think maybe because when I hear it, I picture exactly what the scene is in the film. Mm. Like in Juno, they have this amazing like animated like sort of beginning of the film, and like this song plays over that. And it's just mm. it, it's it's great. So maybe I'm just thinking of that. That's really sweet. It's a good it's a good pick. I'll have to listen to it yeah. um, either in the break or after we finish recording. <laughs> Definitely. Um, if you'd like to listen to this track and all the other picks that we've got in the Record Spinner, you can go onto Spotify and find the playlist, the Record Spinner Collection, um, which has got the pick of everyone who's been in these episodes so far, all 17 episodes now. Um, you can go and find all of those and see what everyone's picked. So, yeah, we're gonna go on a quick break now, uh, but when we come back, we're gonna continue our discussion about The Lost Daughter, talk about everything we still feel like we need wanna say, and also do our another, our another, our other segment, uh, do spill your beans, the 64K Ultra Mega HD range. See you all in a minute. And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed your little 30 second-ish break there listening to our lovely theme tune this series. Um, we're going to jump into our second segment straight away. Let's do um, it. The 64K Ultra Mega HD range. We asked guests to come on here and, similar to the record spinner, uh, bring in a single film that they would like to nominate to this exclusive collection. We throw away the Criterion collection, we throw away steelbooks, Blu-rays, 4Ks, all that sort of stuff. This is the most exclusive range and you get the lucky privilege to nominate one film into wow. this range. Again, with honorable mentions, if you would like to, 
but what would you pick to be nominated into this range? Yeah, okay. I feel like you're gonna know what my answer is, 100%. I've got like an idea. Okay, I'm gonna have to nominate. I'm not picking this film because it's technically the best film. No. But I'm nominating it because of what it means to me and the nostalgic reasons That's of it. That's good. So I'm gonna have to do Rob Rayner's Stand By Me <laughs> because this film is just, I don't know, it just captures exactly what it is to be 12 years old. And, <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there is a bit of drama in it, not gonna lie. But when I was younger, me and my mum and my sister used to watch this film all the time. And then my best friends, so there was like, I hung out with a group of like people. So it was my sister and, and my sister's best friend and then her sister, who was my best friend. And it was all four of us and we used to love this film. And we thought we were all the characters in Stand By Me and we would sing the songs. And I don't know, it's just, if you ever watch it, it just captures exactly what it is when you're like 12 years old and you're about to go to like big school, I guess. And then you all sort of go your separate ways. You're like friends because of like convenience and being living close to each other. Mm. And then after a while, you, when you go to big school, you all sort of go your separate ways, get your own different groups because you all have different passions. And that, in a way, it also happened with my group of friends when I was younger. Mm. So we loved this film. We watched it. And then when we did go to school, we all went our separate ways. So because of that, I don't know, it just has this really big like nostalgic reason for me. Also, it's just a great film. Yeah, so it is it. a good. It is a good film. I need to rewatch it because when I watched it, I wasn't like the mass, yeah, like the biggest fan like of it. it. But I, I feel like I need to watch it with you. I feel like your like love annoying, for it. Though. Yeah, well, that's I'll fine. probably <laughs> quote every line, and you'll be like, "Oh, I'm not watching the film." Yeah, well, that's, like, watch, that's like watching Airplane with me. I, I'll quote everything. Yeah, true. Or Austin Powers or something. Yeah, you know? we that's should my, watch it. But I think it's it's one of those films that is it's just the classic coming-of-age film it is isn't it nothing like, can top it if you think coming of age you think stand by me like yeah. immediately there's so many famous ones out there but stand by me is just the one like the imagery of like um the the train on the yeah. bridge and stuff that's such a famous like scene and the fact again that like i i have a little bit of unsung love for it because of you know stephen king yeah i'm a huge stephen king fan and i love the fact that it was adapted from one of his stories yeah the body the body <laughs> you know what's interesting about it is at the time when throughout all, all of um what's his name stephen, stephen king. king sorry throughout i was gonna call him stan then i was like that's not his name stan king stan king yeah with all his films stan king um like <laughs> up until this point he said in an interview that stand by me was the only film up until this point that he actually truly liked and thought was a good representation of what he'd written. It's fair enough. And there's like the, the place in Stand By Me, the town was called Castle Rock and they actually made a production company like, mm. named after like the town and that. And it's like Castle Rock Productions, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, so. it's, 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 it's an interesting one. I don't know, when did he say that? That's really interesting. I, d I, don't, I don't know, I don't have references or anything, but no. I have like heard that. Obviously since then he's probably like, yeah. there's been many other, like this came out in like um, the eighties, like eighty four, I think. Yeah. So obviously. But since I, even then, like Stephen King has so many like adapted films, and most of them, in fairness, are shit. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that I love loads of them, they are shit. Like yeah. The Shining is probably one of the only ones that I always disagree with. The Shining is shit. No, the Shining. No, the Shining. The Shining's really good. 
they um, obviously Stand By Me is really good. I'm trying to think of other ones that, yeah. that I, I think can Stand By Me is a bit rogue though for Stephen King in a way. I think if you didn't know, because it's a short story that like he wrote, but like they made a feature film out of it. They give it a lot more character that's less in keeping with Stephen King's natural kind of style. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, you know, it's it's no surprise when you look at this and then like it. It feels more like a Stephen King thing. That's because he wrote that as a huge ass book, like with so many details and stories and threads through it. Yeah. That's still a coming of age film, but a very much more Stephen Kingified coming of age yeah. film. I don't know if he wrote the body first or it first. I'd be really interested to find that out yeah. actually after this. But like with Stand by Me, it really, really captured it. Now, have you ever read the short story? I think I tried to when I was younger but I think it was a bit too old for me at the time because mm. it is a lot darker yeah. than the film. And it's only like the short story is told by all of the boys' perspectives, mm. whereas the film is only to told by like Gordy's perspective. Yeah. So I think in a way I, I prefer that because I like that there's one like sort of central character that we can follow. Yeah. So I think it's like a really good like adaptation of the body. Definitely. I think like one of those things is that I think Stephen King He's a great author, but like he's not a screenwriter. Yeah. And I think that some of his work doesn't translate as well. It needs, you know, what's the owl? That's really loud. Um, it needs a, sort of a decent amount of influence to change it from its source material, whether that means him liking it or not. Yeah. Thankfully, Stand By Me is one of those ones that he did like. But stuff yeah. like The Shining, which is universally renowned as a brilliant film, nothing like the book, but it is a brilliant film. Yeah, totally. I think you need that sort of help. Was I think this the cast of it, like yeah. River Phoenix yeah. in it, he's an amazing actor. I think this is probably one of his like first performances. Like and then there has the guy from the Goonies, I can't remember what his name is. But it's such a it's such a good like and apparently they had so so much fun on set, like they spent so long together, all the kids before they shot it, so they could like build up those relationships on mm. screen. Apparently there was one time where they went to a fair and they were all there and they, they had like brownies at the fair and then they all felt a bit weird. And then they realised that they were like pot brownies and they all just got high, the kids. Oh my God. So it just sounds like so much fun. Like, I want to be on that, that film, that's, sir. That's the 80s America for you, isn't it? Yeah, that's what you get. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a lovely little mention. That's a great film to add to the uh, collection. If you want to see the rest of them, they're all, I've now added them to a letterbox list. Oh, wow. Believe it or not, on my account there is actually a letterbox list with all of the picks for 64K Ultra Mega HD range. And as you watch them, you can tick them off. And that's exactly what I'm doing, because I've not seen many of the picks in that list. Um, so it's nice to have one that I can actually talk about and be like, oh, yes, I have yeah, seen that. Yeah, join in the convo. Exactly, because usually I'm like, oh, I haven't watched that, but it's on my list. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, going back to The Lost Daughter, um, I feel like we've talked a lot about like different parts of it and different aspects that sort of um, we liked about it. I did want to ask, is there anything you didn't like about this film? Ooh, okay, that's interesting. I think it's an amazing film. There were some moments that took me out of it slightly, for, but like it, these are such mean being nitpicky. Yeah, because thing is, this film is an excellent film, and I think you have to, if you're gonna pick something negative about it, you have to be nitpicky. Yeah, but, I think there yeah. was one shot that just made me laugh. It was like the doll, like the child's doll being thrown that. out the window. <laughs> and like yeah, it was, there was, there was a this. cut and it was like it was like looking down out the window and then you could see the doll like hitting the pavement but I don't know if the editor like timed it correctly because it seemed as if like it, it held the shot before they threw it out the window 
So it seemed as if it should have hit the floor by then. Mm. But like it was like showing it falling, and then it just looked really naff, like how yeah. it was falling. Like it just looked really like not dramatic. I vaguely remember that. And I just actually, remember yeah. sitting there and be like, "What the hell was that?" Like <laughs> that's just yeah, no. Yeah, Bad. I can't. I, I, va- I vaguely remember that scene and being. I remember we talked about it after. I think it was one of the things. It was like, what the what the fuck was that? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's insane. I think um, it's in terms of like negative stuff. I really there's not really much t- uh, to pick out of it. I think there's other than the fact that it stressed me out half the time. Yeah. Like, I felt on edge most of the film with, and it was just like, I don't know, just awkward situations yeah. and all that sort of thing. Maybe also the character of Will, um, which is the Paul Mez. Is he the one that had it off with the other mother? Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't really get the significance in a way of his character, but then I guess it was to show parallels between Olivia Coleman's character who got with somebody, like yeah. a, a cheated on her husband, with somebody else, to show the sort of parallels between that. But apart from that... Because at the beginning, it sort of alluded to the fact that Olivia Coleman might get with him. Because they went out for like yeah, a dinner date. Yeah, yeah, they did, didn't they? And I was like, oh, are they going to yeah. kiss? Uh, what's going on? <laughs> it's an interesting one. I, I totally agree with what you mean. He was quite a... It was a character that just sort of rocked up when he was needed, but then there wasn't any extra development, if you know yeah. what I mean? I felt more inclined to... I felt more connected to um, like Ed Harris's character, yeah. who wasn't in the film much. But when he was, you kind of felt... There's a little bit of mystery around him, and I quite like that. Mm-hmm. Um, with, uh, what's his name, Will, you say? Yeah. Um, with his character, I think his purpose was to sort of have a bit of a nice sort of um, sort of uh, camaraderie almost with Olivia Coleman's character, have a nice little chat or whatever, to show they have a, like, a, a good connection with each other, and then show that he's the one that the other mother's ch- um, cheating on her husband with, to sort of sort of draw that connection between those two characters. And I think that's probably one of the best things of the film for me, to be honest, is that the the way it managed to really subtly but um, very really connect those two characters. In any other film, with any other you know team behind it, it could have been quite ham-fisted. Mm, oh, she's yeah. cheating. She's cheating, right? Yeah. Okay, I get it. They've you both got like daughters. They like, both love me like you do. Yeah, like, exactly. Between them, yeah. past and present. Where, whereas it's done really subtly, and you can see how, like, the other mother cheating annoyed Olivia Coleman's character, mm. and I and I quite like that. Maybe it shows development. It shows sort of. Do you think it was though that she was? Because I I know this sounds weird, but when I watched it, I got the impression that she was a bit jealous because she wants to get. Yeah, I got I got that initially. Like she wants to, but then I, obviously that's not the case. But then but I, I get I I know what you mean because I sort of got that initially. I think something I interpreted from it is that she, she in an, in a weird way in some sort of really strange full circle meta kind of way is almost mothering this other mother. Yeah, true. No, she's not old enough really to be like, you know, like a, a, a grand uh, grandma maybe. Mm. But like, she's like sort of giving her the life lessons and sort of seeing herself through someone else's life and being like, you know, she sees the same stuff, the, the postnatal depression, the, um, the attitude towards having a kid, the, the cheating, Yeah. you know. Um, she sees the same drives in herself that she does in this other mother, and I like the connection that has. Maybe it is because she was jealous that she couldn't get with Will. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Sub story. But, um, but I think, it, to me, there's a part of it of that, but part of it as well is that she's just like, you, like she almost wants this other mother to be better than she was. She, her sort of guilt is 
you know, I, in, from my interpretation anyway, she her guilt is making her want to sort of make sure the same mistake doesn't happen mm. twice with someone else. Because she is very interfering with this other family in their life and how they're living their life, especially yeah. this mother. And it makes me think, like, why is she interfering? But you know what I think it is? I don't think it's necessarily her being like, don't cheat. Mm. I think it's her more... She, in this situation, she only cares for the other mother, so mm. Dakota Johnson's character. And I think in a way she's scared that she's going to get hurt mm. because she's cheating on her husband and her husband's this really like powerful, like sort of gangster-like character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she's scared that her kid's going to be like taken away or like she's going to get like beaten up or like something bad's going to happen to her if she's caught out. So I think that is why she almost agrees to help her. She doesn't agree for Will to Will when Will asks... Can, or can we use your house? Mm. She's like, oh no, but like, she's like, oh no, I want to speak to whatever the woman's called. Mm. But she only like, you know what I mean? She'll only help out the other woman. She won't help out anybody else. Yeah. So it's almost like she sees herself in her. She's like, I am you. I know that you might not be making the right decision, but I want to protect you. Yeah, that's, that's I, I, I agree with that. I quite like that. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of ways. The thing is, again, this film is totally open to interpretation about how you see things. And, the fact that it's not spoken, it's not in dialogue, it's in how Olivia Coleman performs this character. She is in a scene and she'll give a certain look to another character, like when she sees them two cheating, she gives a look and that can be interpreted in a multitude of different ways. And I sh that's a very, very good performance to be able to carry that off. Yeah. To carry such an important detail about this character and how she feels and how, you know, how she thinks, especially when she's got this woman's daughter's doll like, why is she, you know, why is she looking that way? What, what is she thinking in this moment? And it's a lot of trust to put in Olivia Coleman, and rightfully so. I could not have seen that being played by anyone else. No. Like, Olivia she... Coleman was perfect for this role. Yeah, she's so good. Her performance. It's almost like the script was written for her as the actor, because I can't yeah. see anybody else doing it. Literally, like, and I could see that about most characters in the film, to be honest. It's like, they, it... I couldn't see anyone else in yeah, that, in, in that really role, well cast. especially with Olivia Coleman's character, whether it be Olivia Coleman or mm. Jesse Buckley. I think she was brilliant as well. You know, credit where it's due, as I mentioned before, to be able to emulate such an iconic actress like Olivia Coleman yeah. so well. I didn't whilst... recognise though Dakota Johnson for ages when she yeah. came on screen. I was like, I don't know who this woman is, and I knew she Dakota Johnson was in the film, and it literally took me about a few scenes to be like, oh, that that is yeah. Dakota Johnson. Because she looks so different, first off. Mm. And just how she's acting is very different to anything I would have seen, but it works. Like It, it shows a whole new like range to her as an actress. Yeah. So it's very impressive. It's, it's a great film for people who are involved with it to have on their portfolio, really, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. Because it's so... It, 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 it takes you back to those, like, those films that... This film probably won't do incredibly well in terms of box office. No. Or, like, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a film for, like mass audiences no it's not it's very niche in who it's targeting but it's one that i would recommend and it's one that i hope gets noticed by this in, in this well noticed in the awards season yeah i'd love it to because it, it really deserves it it really sort of deserves that recognition and i feel like when i put this podcast on not many people are going to really know what this is yeah totally but i think if you are listening it's a film that you know, I feel really meta there, breaking the fourth wall. Listeners. Um, <laughs> Listen here. It's, it's a film that is definitely worth watching, and it's one of those ones that is so unique and so different that you're really not going to see anything like this. No, I don't know any films on the top of my head 
that cover a topic like this in mm. such a subtle and real way. Mm. And I think in a way, yeah, as you said, with award season coming, I think it's going to do really well. Maybe not necessarily Olivia Coleman winning awards, but I can see like Jessica Buckley like getting like Best Supporting Actor, mm. like things like that. I can I can see it doing well. I hope it does. And in terms of like a directorial debut as well, Maggie Gyllenhaal. I don't know if she'll get picked for director, but I feel like it's it's, it's impressive. A pretty good start. If that's your debut, it's a it's a pretty impressive starting point. Mm. Yeah, um, I think also when it comes to directing debuts. I've heard a lot of people say that you only sort of have one shot at it. I mean, that's probably for people who aren't known like Maggie Gyllenhaal. But a lot of the time yeah. when you make a film, you're like, okay, you have to spend a lot of time on it and you're like, this is what I want to say. Mm. And if you, would, would you, if you mess up your second film, it's not as bad because you still have your first film that you can mm. show. But this one is the first thing we've ever seen of her and she's done really well. So I can see her having a, a good like, a lot more films now coming out. I can see her getting more work through yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. And it would be great as well to see what she can do with maybe her own stories as well. Yeah. Because obviously this is like an adapted um, piece from a book. I'd be like, if she was able to tell this in such a subtle and, and gorgeous way, um, I'd be fascinated to see, you know, what she does next. Like, I'm definitely going to want to see her next film now because yeah. of how good and subtle and brilliant this was in terms of everything, performance, the way it was shot, like the whole package put together looked and felt so authentic and real, but was such an entertaining, uh, an entertaining and beautiful film. Yeah. Big um, up yeah. Maggie. Big up Maggie. Well done. <laughs> Maggie, well done, sis. To be specific, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Don't take that out of context. <laughs> <laughs> Maggie. Maggie Thatcher, I was thinking. Oh, of. right. Yeah, no. Oh, God, I can hear. I can feel that. Yeah, big up Maggie, no, no. Jill Hall. Jill Hall. Jill But yeah, no. Is there anything else you want to mention about this film? Because I feel like we've kind of covered quite a lot of it, and I don't think we started off going, oh, we'll not be too subtle with it. Um, we just said the whole story. Basically. But it's still, it is still worth But watching. it's not like a type of film yeah. that is like a spoiler film, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, we've talked like, about the themes. It's not like Endgame really. or like things like that where like, ooh, yeah. there's a big thing. No. It's just, it's a film about like mm. a complex character or woman. It's great acted. Yeah. Like, it's not a film that if you, you know what happens that is going to ruin it for you in a mm. way. Like, mm. yeah, it might be good going in not knowing much, but it doesn't make or break how it affects you yeah. as a film. Yeah. Um, in terms of just talk, I don't know, there's not much I really want to say. <laughs> I think I've covered quite a lot of things about like the film itself. I will, I will say that um, I, I speak to an AD who actually, called Simon Hedges, who actually AD'd this film. Yeah. And um, he like was telling me, he actually sent me um, the shooting schedule for it to show me like give me examples of how to like, mm. schedule a film and yeah he said that they shot this film in 28 days that's insane which is insane when you told me that i was like i can't i can't quite believe that because it's not just all on that like sort of island location it does have the flashbacks yeah and, it has and i reckon they and... shot that in like england you know yeah yeah I, i'm pretty sure they shot it in greece during COVID times majority of the crew were local to the area um, apart from all the sort of like HODs of the film, mm. but for 28 days, like when you when you like schedule a film, like you break it down to how many like pages there are, mm. and you think about how many like 
I don't know how long it is exactly, but it's like at least an hour and a half, this film. Yeah, something like that. 28 days to shoot that. Like, I've shot, like, short films, and they've been, like, 10 days long. So it's insane that to get those performances in such a short space of time, yeah. I think it's really impressive. It's a two-hour film. Two-hour films, <laughs> 28 days to shoot it. That's insane when you really think about it, though. When you really break that down, that is so impressive. And it's an interesting one, because you, you can't really tell if that's something to do with the, the studio behind it, the, the people who are funding it, or whether that's a, a choice of just how they decided to make it. Like, But it, it paid off. Yeah. I, 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 it's incredible how, how amazing this looks and the, how brilliant the, like, the end product is, considering how quickly it was shot. Yeah, I think that's what you get a lot of the time with indie films. Mm. Like, you have a such smaller crew mm. and less time to make it. Yeah. Um, obviously, like these, like you know, like Marvel films are shooting for like six months at a time. It's insane, like what you can do in such a restricted yeah situation. But yeah, I think it was really good, and I think all the crew like did an amazing job. Like I, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on that note, I think that's basically wrapped up all our thoughts on it. I think we've talked in in quite a lot of detail about the themes, and I think it's it's one of those films that really benefits from that. Um, it's not a film that loads of people are going to see, but if you are listening to this and you've got all the way through to this point and you haven't already got the impression that we are recommending this film, definitely consider going to watch it. It's, it's definitely something that I'd recommend above a lot of films that come out nowadays, um, just because of how unique and different it is. Yeah. But not just that, it's also a brilliant film in itself. So yeah, definitely go and uh, check that out. Um, is there any sort of links or anything that you want to promote for yourself before oh, we wrap man. up you looked a bit <laughs> oh, I'm caught on the spot I, I mean I have an Instagram I guess <laughs> LinkedIn maybe I don't know yeah I, I guess yeah probably Instagram's the best way if anyone wants to contact me yep. <laughs> Zara Trot there we go that's it <laughs> uh, that'll be linked in the um, podcast episode page you can click on that there and of course for us Spill Your Beans is on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, it's at Spill Your Beans. On Instagram, it's at Spill Your Beans Podcast because someone took the name. Um, wow. Who are those people? <laughs> I'm going for them. And for my main account, it's at GB Sheard on Twitter and Instagram if you want to keep up to date with all the latest other stuff that's going on with my sort of content. But yeah, thanks so much for listening um, and we'll catch you all next Wednesday with another Doctor Who review before another film episode that following Friday. I'm not exactly sure what that's going to be yet, but I'm, as, I'm Ooh, excited to find that. Anticipation. <laughs> uh, see you all later.